You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by the full crew this week, Seth Miller, Fosma Moon. Gentlemen. Foz is back. He's back. After my long hiatus. Hey, we, you know, we it's really like did two or three weeks. Yeah. I miss been. you in LA. If I could have made it work, I would have. I apologize. Oh, no, it's fine. We just, it would have been a lot of fun. We had, we had a good time. Next year. Um, yeah. So, Seth, you took a trip uh, and you got to go through the new DCA terminal coming back from. Coming back LA. from Workfest last week. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Spot LAX. So, I, not on purpose or not as, as originally planned, my original plan was to fly uh, Burbank to phoenix to boston and get home at a reasonable hour and you know take the bus home from boston like i always do uh i got a call when i got home from germany i was chatting with my wife on the thursday prior and she mentioned that she wouldn't be able to pick me up at the bus station because she was hanging out with friends on monday night and i was like oh well i mean okay i'll just get a car home no big deal i've done it before and you know find dinner on my own and whatever it's like well the reason i'm hanging out so late with my friends is we have an 8 30 dinner reservation so if you can get to you know where we're at by 8 30 you can come to dinner with us instead (laughs) and since the the flight I originally had would probably have gotten me in about an hour too late, or might have gotten me there on time, but it was just you know it was a little risky and a, a few extra hops along the way. But I was able to switch to a LADC Portland Maine, and they were having dinner on the coast in Maine, so uh, sort of halfway between Portsmouth and uh, Portland, and so that that timing worked out very nicely. I actually, ended up about a half hour early in the end. So, but yes, it also meant I got to see the new. Uh, Terminal at LAX. This is the, I guess, do, 10 or 12 uh, express gates for American. Oh, this is, you mean uh, DCA? Yeah. You said, you said LAX. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, DCA. Yep. Um, my bad. Uh, L, just a side note. LAX uh, International Terminal, TBIT right now, not mm-hmm. a great departure experience. Certainly at 7 o'clock in the morning, nothing was like the Starbucks was open and one other kiosk. It was desperate in so many ways as, as i noted i couldn't even buy the 18 dollars scrambled eggs i really wanted is that where your is that where your flight left out of was t my flight was there's like three flights that leave out of t in the morning domestically for some stupid reason really so on aa yeah mine was aa i think there's a delta departure also um and like you'd think like dcla is sort of a premium route yeah and maybe that's why it's in T-Bit normally. i don't know but like that was a bad experience really bad huh. uh, and also like but i had to check in and I had to go through, I actually went through security in, I guess, T5, no, T4. And mm-hmm. then, like, I had to walk the connector back up and across. So it was like, it took a while. And it, I also tried to put my JetBlue number on my American Airlines ticket. And that took over an hour to sort through. Jeez. Wait, <laughs> why did that take so long? So part of it is my fault. Um, I have status in both programs. And the as a gold, actually, my DC to Portland, Maine upgrade cleared using the E500s or whatever. But I decided to forego that in favor of crediting it to JetBlue, so I'll actually have Mosaic next year, because having one is better, and I'm not going to have American Gold. I just I don't have enough spend on that side. So um, in order to do that, they had to, and, they're, and the, you know, the good news is their systems are bad news, depending on which side you're from. The systems caught that, and it, you know, wouldn't let them switch it out while I still had things from my American status in the reservation. And they just like, well, I have to downgrade you after they finally called in the help desk and figured that out. I was like, sure, take, I'll take the downgrade. And as soon as they downgraded me, the downgrade included taking me out of my assigned seats because preferred seats are considered <laughs> a upgrade in their problems. And, I, and they put me in a middle seat for the transcon. And I about lost my uh, mind. And I was like, my old seat is still open. Just put me back in it. Oh, well, you know, I said I was going to downgrade. So I'm like, no, you said you're going to downgrade the Portland segment. And I did not agree to a middle seat. And like, I, I was starting to get upset. Um no yelling, fortunately, but eventually she she walked away for a little bit and came back. She's like, and I, like to the point, like she was gone long enough that one of the other agents that was like handling the line came over and like, what are you standing around for? I'm like, I'm waiting for your colleague to fix things that they broke. Um, eventually she came back. She's like, they put me, actually put me in an exit row window instead. Um, so nice enough, I guess I didn't need that. I didn't need the exit row, but they gave me even more space or even more legroom seat and whatever. Um, Main cabin extra, All right? Gotta get the right branding on it. But anyway, the DCA terminal. So then, I, whatever, I flew a transcon to DCA. It was fine. Um, no food, no food to purchase on board, really. So really? on American, yeah. Wow. Uh, even on a transcon, so that was unfortunate. Uh, you know, a couple. I don't know. I have a pack of pretzels or something. It was not a great uh, dining experience. And then eventually got to DC. It was like two p.m. local time by the time we landed. So grabbed a quick snack. I actually walked over to. And I was fortunate that I was in the 
right gate area on the American side that it was like, I guess, the C, the old C pier. You didn't have to take the bus? So I didn't have to take the bus to connect to get over there. Because um, right now, only the old C pier is connected to the, uh, or the, I guess, whatever, is connected to the new extension. And soon, or soonish, that will all be inside a common security area, but the security is still, that new security checkpoint is still being built out. So they're not ready to sort of move it around. But eventually the, the big arched hallway with all the with the big flag hanging and all that stuff, that's all going to be inside security rather than outside. Oh, so is that what they're doing? Because Yeah, all those peers are going to be connected inside security. So when I was flying through there, I was like, oh, this is interesting because they had a lot of stuff like uh, they had like temporary walls up. Yeah. At DCA. And so it's temporary walls to help build the security section. And like right. it's going to use some of the space in like the walkways back and forth to the metro. Mm-hmm. That's why like those are sort of marked off and yep. they're sort of, they built out around extra like across the roadway and everything. Yep. Um, and then if you actually go into the Great Hall or whatever they call it there, that's like where it used to be open to get from above down. In, like there were stairwells and elevators down, whatever. They've put up netting to prevent, you know, foreign objects from coming through and all sorts of things like that. So it's it's a, it's a real interesting job. They've done a spectacular job sort of keeping everything running during the construction process without much interruption. Um, but And they did a soft opening of the gates a little while back. It's earlier this summer, I guess, maybe May, something like that. Um, and their official opening is coming soon. They want, So I walked over and decided I'd try one of the new concessions over there for lunch. Nothing over there is open. <laughs> um, like there's a Hudson News equivalent. It's not Hudson News, but there's like the, the newsstand is open. Um, maybe one other thing, but nothing, nothing food wise, really. So I, I walked all the way back over, um, grabbed some Bao from Bao Wow, B-A-O-W-A-W-W-O-W. <laughs> terrible uh, name. Terrible name. Pretty bad Bao, too. I was not impressed. No sauce um, dipping. That was not a great experience. Uh, but anyway, it's. A little bit of a walk to get over there. Got a nice moving sidewalk, whatever. Um, big, wide concourse, though. It's like the same width as the main sort of Great Hall area. So it's that huge open space idea. Really nice when you turn the corner and come into the actual sort of uh, terminal section where all the gates are. Again, nice high ceilings, good windows. They sort of tried these like Jeffersonian domes um, to try to sort of match some of the architecture of the rest of the space. Uh because Ned Russell um, commented to me when I con- when I made a note about them, they're sort of Jeffersonian domes on a budget. They're mm. they're not they don't look great inside. They're sort of weirdly they look like flat edges inside, not rounded. Oh yeah, so so you don't you don't get the, the yeah effect. you yeah. don't get the dome effect. Really, you get a weird like, huh? Why is the ceiling different here? Uh, but lots of different seating. There's some rocking chairs over there um, with like leg rest or easy chairs with leg rests. Uh, if you walk all the way to the corner, there's actually great visible visibility out of the river visual approach. Hmm. So you can watch the planes coming through right as they pass the uh, as they pass in front of the Washington Monument and then curve around to land. That's uh, awesome. I had I had a let me check here. So it's in front, at 150 millimeter lens with a 1.5 x crop factor on my camera. You probably want a tiny bit more than that to get a good to get a good zoom. But uh, I got some decent pictures out of it. So. Sweet. I stood there for about a half hour and just grabbed. I, it was funny. They, I also got to see uh, Marine One. So I got to see the trio of helicopters come up from Andrews. I assume Andrews. Uh, two of them broke off. One landed on the South Lawn, picked up the president, and then went back. He was on his way to New York City, I guess, for the UN General Assembly speech. Huh. So you know, planes continued to land until he was on board, at which point all of a sudden everything scrambled. And just stopped. Well, everybody sort of started looping around and sort of, you know, quote unquote, missed approaches. Um, yeah. But no one ever got close to DCA until he was clear. You know, it's like a 15 minute flight or whatever, 10 minute flight. So there's that like few minutes and then everything resequenced. And good news, bad news. As they resequenced, I got like uh, Southwest 737, 700, 800, then max in, in succession. <laughs> like <laughs> odds of that coming in, I mean, even with the resequencing, not so high. But it was funny to see like the three of those just in order. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a bunch of, a couple of Alaska planes, cause it was like sort of transcon arrival time, uh, Delta 321, bunch of E75s. It was, uh, it was nice. pretty cool. Yeah. Seeing, seeing, I got a shot actually of like one of the planes finally landing with the Washington monument in the background and like the trio of, uh, helicopters headed the other direction. It was pretty <laughs> cool. to that juxtaposition. So I gotta say, uh, uh, DCA, I do, I do like it. I think putting everything behind security is going to just make it that much better of an airport like yeah, it, is, the, it is it is probably the best close-in airport i can think of yeah the only thing that won't be inside security is the old uh a banjo way down at the end yep which is uh, southwest and spirit and i don't remember who uses it anymore yeah but so they're disconnecting it from the main terminal then so it was n- it, there's still a walkway but it's outside security because of the 
That's right. Offices that, and you everything could, else. You could, yeah, you could never get to the banjo from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember there's a walkway that has glass that go that right, but only where the old presidents club. Or I guess the existing United Club is still if it's reopened yet, but where the old presidents club was. Um, yeah, that that glass is all still there and whatnot, but and that's all still in the same secured space or will be. But the, the to get past that all the way down to the banjo, you've got to go outside security. There's a giant uh, meeting room slash catering hall, which is gorgeous space uh, in between. Who's in, the, who's in the banjo at this point? Steven just said uh, Southwest. I think it's Southwest and Spirit, and I think I saw Frontier there. I walked by it the other day uh, when I was there. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Low, low cost carriers, really. But I think JetBlue moved out at one point. Yeah, yeah Jet- JetBlue moved back over to the BC Pier. Yep. Uh, Air Canada, Frontier, and Southwest is what the website lists. There we go. Okay, so not, not Spirit. Yeah. Um, does. Spirit fly to? I thought that? they did, but maybe not. Maybe I'm just imagining seeing a see plane painted like a highlighter. Um, <laughs> uh, nightmares again? <laughs> yeah, nightmare, nightmares, exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's talk, uh, speaking of AA, right? AA and Gaul are partnering up, joining forces? More tightly partnering. Um, American is investing in like a 5% stake. So similar to the JetSmart deal over in Argentina or in Chile. Mm-hmm. Or Chile, I guess, was JetSmart. Um, again, uh, trying to take taking an ownership stake, uh, taking a, proposing a significant improvement in the loyalty cooperation. And I, I swear, at this point, that's the key for all of these deals: is that uh, the they're trying to make those things more significant, the the, the loyalty relationships more significant. So, hmm. um, hopefully, they got a better deal than Delta did with uh, Tam Latam. Yeah. Listen, it's just a couple billion dollars that vanished into thin air. What's the big deal? <laughs> Trump change. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully this one works out better than that. I mean, or, you know, than any of uh, Etihad's investments, as long as we're keeping track. But there have been, from time to time, the occasional airline sort of partnership investments that have worked out. I love so. how that was like a subtle, like, you just kind of like, you kind of just dropped it and moved on with the comment about Etihad. That was, that well, was... I, I don't need to, like, pour salt in that wound and squeeze some lemon juice on top. Everybody knows how bad it was. <laughs> Uh, oh man! Um, so infecting me is this latest news about from from Finnair, uh, and actually Eurowings has some part in it too. But there's some operations starting for Finnair and Eurowings in Stockholm, uh, and they're moving some of those ops from Helsinki for Finnair and for Eurowings. I think they're moving some of it from from Germany, maybe, or are they? Just I'm not sure if it's moving service? or just as they resume service. There's, there's, so Eurowings is opening a crew base in Stockholm. I don't think Finnair is opening a base, but as part of their sort of winter schedule, Finnair is going to fly nonstop Stockholm to Miami and JFK or Miami and LA. All three Miami. Well, I know LA is on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a interesting uh, move, right? There's, there's limited long haul competition right now. SAS is still operating, uh, but uh, Norwegian long haul is gone and Norse Atlantic, you know, Norwegian 2.0 or 3.0, whatever is not going to start operating until next spring. So there theoretically is an opportunity there. I'm not sure how much demand there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami, Los Angeles, JFK are the three routes. Uh, and Chicago to Helsinki becomes year round instead of summer only. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, I'm not sure how much demand there is, right? Th- those were markets that even before COVID, the Scandinavian long haul markets were routes that uh, Norwegian was exiting, yeah. claiming that you know they couldn't make them work. So I'm not sure why or how Finnair is going to make them work better, but they seem to think they can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, S- and, S- and S- you got screwed because you lost the flight on your day, right? They moved one of yours to the wrong city. Yeah, well, they didn't even move the flight. They just said uh, we're going to, you know, like the. But, oh, sorry, they, they didn't change. Not your reservation, but the the plane yeah. that you were supposed to be on from Helsinki is now departing from Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing Helsinki LAX, and I think it's now doing our no, Stockholm LAX, and they moved my flight up a day earlier, which seems it's a it's like that's like a really odd way of handling it. Like, oh, we'll just put him a day earlier. He won't mind. Like, who, what logic went in doing this? It's like, oh, that'll be fine. Like, a day later, I could see. But a day mm. earlier? Eh. Well, it's not like someone sits there and consciously does it. It's just there's a system that just says what's next, what's the closest available flight with the next hours. Yeah, but it's, but uh, I mean, you, this is programmatic, right? So if it's day, day minus one, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're bringing logic back in day, the airline sector? <laughs> 
I know. I'm asking too much. I'm asking. Too much. Like th- this coming from the uh, the sector that was very excited. They introduced a shopping cart. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about that real quick? Let's let's talk about this. Uh, so United came out with an update for their app, and it it, it said now introducing a shopping cart. Uh, one, it's not really a shopping cart because you don't like put things in it. It's just like a history of what you've searched before. So that's search history, not a shopping cart. Yeah. Okay. And 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 it was like a it was a spelled out feature on their latest update. It was the only yeah. feature in their latest update. <laughs> It, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to keep it, stay relevant and remind people that they have an app. I don't know. Wait, wait, here, this is the official verbiage. Big news. We've added a shopping cart. Other highlights in this release include, oh, there was something else, but the only thing they talked about was a shopping cart. <laughs> what was the other thing? I don't know. Let me go see. What does the app store say? I, I, but I still don't understand how a list of your saved searches or recent searches is a shopping cart. Uh, I know. This is what gave me a headache when he sent the photo to me. Okay. <laughs> the ability to add your profile photo to the My United section of the app. Ooh. Why? Easier access to all the info you need to know about your connection after you check in. I actually saw that. Uh, I'm assuming it's the newer version. I haven't flown United a lot lately. Uh, on my connection... Uh, last weekend, I flew uh, Manchester, New Hampshire to Dulles to Ithaca, New York, and saw some of the connection stuff on the app. And it was actually mildly useful. I mean, my connection was from the plane to the same plane, so I didn't have to go very far. <laughs> Convenient. Uh, but they did make me get out for, you know, the hour. So there was that. <laughs> you should have been like, can I just stay? Like, um, yeah, I'm I just going to sit in the row ahead here. Can I just chill? Like, I'll get out of the way when they try, you know, can I watch them scrub it down that they're not actually going to do very well? That'd be cool. <laughs> Um, oh man! When did they, um, they start Manchester Dulles? I didn't even know they did that. It restarted, uh, started slash restarted not long ago. And someone asked me about it. I was like, I'm never going to use that, but that's cool to know. And then literally last minute, I think I bought the tickets on Tuesday or Wednesday for a Friday or for a Saturday departure. Um, realized I needed to go to Ithaca, and that routing worked. So huh? yeah, it was pretty cool. Was it full? Hundred percent full on the Manchester Dulles flight and five empties on the uh, Dulles to Ithaca on a Saturday morning, both on a wow. CRJ two hundred. So wow. Satan's yeah. chariot's getting a lot of work. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it's too much time in the CR two. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, all right, let's talk about uh, the relaxed U.S. entry rules. So, um, I guess coming November is that the right date? Ish. Ish. Early um, November is the target, I believe, is the current position. I don't believe a formal date is around. Yeah. So announced. we're we're reopening the United States borders to certain travelers, uh, those vaccinated, um, and then those. So that's that's an interesting. But so they're cha- It's reopening in many ways, but it's, it's a significant change in rules right now because previously unvaccinated with a negative test could come in. Yep. From many countries, excluding China, Brazil, and most of Europe. Yep. Now it's. So unvaccinated people from all those other places now cannot come in. But if you are vaccinated and test negative, you can. And they've added the other countries back in. So that's a weird twist to the rules. Yeah. And it's, is this reciprocity in your mind? Is it, is it reciprocity in your mind or is it more uh, kind of like, we're just trying to come up with something that's going to work to, to reopen the border. And this is the first step in that. I'd say more the latter. I might, it's sort of reciprocating to Europe, but um, who mostly opened up to the United States. But in, by insisting on vaccinated only where European countries had, the EU had previously said, we'll let Americans in just with a test. And then after, you know, just a couple of weeks ago after the U.S. still didn't keep opening up, said, OK, fine, never mind. Uh, mm-hmm. back, you know, unvaccinated Americans are now considered high risk. Yep. Uh, I, I I think it's, you know, so it's sort of playing that game, but also trying to recover a little bit. You know, one could argue that vaccinated was also, say, four months ago. And what, what were they waiting for? But yeah, and what are they waiting for now? What are they waiting for now? And it actually caused <laughs> it caused one of the major trade shows for my small section of the you know airline industry to get postponed with six weeks. Oh, really? I was supposed to have a conference October 18, 19, 20, and it's now going to be December 2, 3, 4. Because Five of the weeks. rules and more people can come in? Well, mostly because the a whole bunch of the uh, people managing the sort of, uh, whatever, the educational sessions day and all the interviews and all that stuff was a BBC mm. news team. And they all applied for the exemption letters and all got denied. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oops. So, and then it wasn't going to open fast enough. And so, 
Oops. Wow. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, it makes sense for the conference to do that. I, I'm a little disappointed because the timing of it conflicts with another conference in London. So and I can't be into, and I'm presenting at that one. I'm moderating a session and I can't be in two places at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. I will go in your stead. Okay. I get that set up. <laughs> uh, you want to hang out in Long Beach for a couple of days? Sure. Yeah. Long, Long Beach is okay, I guess. <laughs> um, so I, along these same lines though, China's China's still not open, right? Correct. Brazil's not really open. I, I thought think. Brazil was. I mean, is it, people I know yeah. have visited. Okay. So maybe I'm not up to date. Um, but so, I mean, there's my point really is, is like, there's still these like disjointed what's open, what's not open um, rules. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in India is a great example of like, it's sort of open, but there's the border is sort of open, but the flights are terribly limited. Mm-hmm. Like international flight services only basically being offered on a, uh, nation by nation reciprocity basis hmm. where like if your country will let us in then we'll let you in and then the government will only allow a certain number of flights and it's only for people flying between the two countries and no onward connections and crazy things like that wow crazy and as part of this klm has restored their las vegas and miami flight they put them back on the schedule and this is a, this was a great one like three weeks ago four weeks ago they're like oh well the border's not reopening anytime soon we're canceling las vegas miami and orlando they're no longer gonna operate this winter and then <laughs> this news came out that the border's going to, you know, that the U.S. is starting to, is changing its rules or whatever. And they're like, oh, we will relaunch those routes in November, December. I don't remember exactly when, but, you know, enough time to sell them, but not the Orlando route, which is, I guess, not that surprising. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's surprising to me, right? Most of the Vegas traffic is generally driven by conferences. So I don't know if the conference business has returned, but Disney's open. Yeah, I, I'm a little surprised given the Disney demand. Obviously, the Miami demand is, you know, South Beach, winter. There's some, you know, that's a popular destination. Lufthansa used to fly a ton of traffic in there too. So I get that. Um, I'm not sure that from Europe, Las Vegas is as much uh, conference traffic as it is a decent amount of just leisure. I mean, I would, think about just the Virgin Atlantic like packages that they would sell in huge volume out there. No, I get that. But there's a lot of shows that only happen in Vegas, right? A lot sure. Of corporate events. You know, you know, I, mean, I know, that, I know that's part of it. I just, I'm wondering from the Europe, how much of that is European versus American demand? I mean, some of the bigger ones, you'll definitely get a fair bit of Europeans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Global events are global. I, I think the Vegas stuff is kind of the summer. Uh, sorry, the winter escape piece again. I think it's kind of like South Beach a little bit, right? Like it's there's people who go to the desert or do whatever um, outdoor sporting that yeah. you can do outside of Vegas. Um, so it's in- it's interesting though. I'm glad they brought it back. I, I mean, maybe I, maybe they have, have demand for it. I don't. I don't know. I still don't see travel picking up the, by the end of this year. So, um, huh? What Narita had to close the runway on what day was this? Saturday? Mm-hmm. No, Friday. I'm sorry, Friday uh, morning for about 15 minutes. Yeah. There was a turtle on the runway. Oops. <laughs> Dark green, about four and a half pounds, foot long. Is that what the pilot reported? <laughs> they, they went out and picked it up. I know. I just yeah. Did the pilot call it in? It yeah. looks like he's four pounds. <laughs> a pilot did call it in though. Uh, five departing flights were delayed less than fifteen minutes. One of them. This is spectacular. One of them was the uh, ANA A three eighty that has the uh, turtle. turtle. Uh, <laughs> Where are they flying that now? Okinawa, believe it or not. Uh, well, I guess that makes sense. It's 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 a tu- you know touristy holiday destination. Yeah, but I, I was surprised to see that too. But yeah, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. No, it's fine. I, I'm random news that came across while I'm recording. I didn't realize Okinawa could take an A380. Fascinating. Um, let's talk about some other fascinating stuff. Northern Pacific Airlines, which, if our listeners remember, is the airline in Alaska that uh, is the parent company of Raven. Same parent company as Raven, yeah. Corvus yeah. is the name of the parent company, and uh, they they wanted they announced they wanted to start uh, flights uh, across the Pacific, connecting you know the United States and North America to Pacific destinations, and they wanted to do it with seven fifty sevens, and uh, they bought their first seven fifty sevens. Six of them. I, I I did not think it was going to happen. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> well, well, just because they've bought the planes doesn't mean they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, they still don't have, they're still not on the operating certificate. They still don't have, you know, many other things. But goal is a dozen frames by the time they launch. Uh, some point next year, the first six are old American birds. Interesting. So it'll be real interesting to see if they bother to replace the interiors or not. Yeah. Wow. 
and whether they got the flatbed or the 24F model. The I mean, first. I mean, if they if they if the price is right, I just I don't know, guys. Like, does it make any sense when I can connect in San Francisco or wait, Seattle? Wait, wait, wait. You connect in San Francisco. What is your success rate there? When I'm with you, very low. I've never connected with you in San Francisco. Yes, I? you did. Yes, oh, you that's did. right. Taipei. Well, no, Wait, it sounds like, no, it sounds like no. you never did because you didn't get to the second flight. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to be fair, wait, no, no. I was already there. I didn't connect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But you were there. I mean, that was the problem. If you hadn't been there, you know. <laughs> LA, I will own. San Francisco, I'm not owning. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, would you fly across the Pacific via Anchorage? For how much? Yeah, I guess the price. If the price is right, uh, I'll be interested to see what their North American routes are. Like, where where are they going? In they North mentioned America? Texas in the last release. Hmm, interesting. So that'll be interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. I I think that there's already a lot of capacity in that market, but you know, it worked for Iceland Air. I'm just. I think that the. Uh, I think that Iceland works because Iceland Air has way more destinations available on the. European side with a shorter flight. Yeah. So they can, so they can do both local and connecting feed. Like at one point the, the market was just uh, one a day in and out. And then they started adding like a second and a third to some markets on the European side. And then in some of the shorter U S markets were able to add a second or a third where there was, you know, like I did the daytime flight JFK to Iceland. Yeah. Reykjavik. Right. And it, it landed at 11 PM in Iceland. It's like a 2 PM departure out of JFK. It was a great flight. Uh, Get down to your get downtown to your hotel around midnight, one a.m. Fall asleep, wake up the next day, and like good to go. So I loved that, but also like you you can do that, but right, it, it sort of worked because they were able to have enough demand just going into Iceland as well. In theory, in the summer, Anchorage might support that, but you're not, you know, Iceland Air has what two dozen destinations in Europe. Yeah, I'm not sure in the you know on the mainland. I'm not sure. Unless they start doing crazy stuff into China, which from a regulatory perspective and a slots perspective would be insane unless they go to all secondary or tertiary cities. Uh, I'm not sure where you're going to get enough destinations that are within range of a 757 to Anchorage. Well, and that's, so that's what I was looking at. Anchorage to Narita is 3,400 miles. Okay. So you got another thousand. You can get so to the southern parts of Japan. Okay. So you can get to the southern parts of Japan. So let's look at, let's just look at Taipei. I'm going to look at Taipei. No way. No way, right? I don't think so. I mean, check it, but no, it's gotta be uh, too far. Taipei's forty six hundred. How far was Berlin to Newark that never made it? Thirty nine. <laughs> Thirty nine, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I mean I guess you could probably make Seoul. Yeah. Um but I think you're, that's part you, of the plan. You could do Beijing. Yeah. Northern you know, China. There's no way you're gonna get slots to Beijing. Beijing's a tier one city. There's a unless American never starts operating those China flights again. Right? There, there's no slots to China from the US. Avail to, excuse me, to tier one cities in China available. So Beijing, Guangzhou, Shanghai, and there's a fourth. I mean, I you could you could start flying to the second tier cities, right? There's no one flying those, and the seven fifty seven would be the right size plane. Like they might manage to do it with the secondary or tertiary cities, and if, tier two cities have some limitations, and then there's tier three cities. I forget what the tier two limitations are, but I think they're relatively open. Um, yeah. I, it would have to be a lot of China traffic, I think, would be, and certainly in the next six months, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. I mean, no one is, but they're they're not going to be ready to really do this till next summer, so maybe it works. But I mean, I'm I'm still thinking like Beijing. I mean, I, I'm trying to think what secondary cities in China you could do because Beijing's at the limit, right? Like Beijing is right at 3,900 miles. Where's like Tianjin or? Let me see here. I mean, you could do Dailin or Harbin. Harbin you could probably do with no issue. Yeah, um, because it's north of. Uh, Korea, um, maybe Qingdao, uh, maybe Jinju or Xi'an, and that's about as far as you could go. You might even be able to pull off to Shanghai, maybe. But I think you're really limited to Japan, like and South Korea. Maybe they'll start. Yeah. Vladiv- maybe they'll start. Maybe they'll start Vladivostok. I can see Alaska. I can see Russia from here. I, I would take that. Yeah, Tianjin might work. It's yeah. only thirty nine. It's just under four thousand. It could work, but. I, I I would uh, I would get my my Russian visa if I could get Anchorage to Vladivostok. I would I would do that. <laughs> Just saying. Um, yeah, it's fascinating to me. This the the whole concept is fascinating. I, just give me someone, give me a billion dollars and let me start an airline. Okay. <laughs> Don't do you guys remember that game we used to play? The, oh yeah, the text based game. I was thinking about it the other day. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. The, the, the airline the, mogul or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was great. It's totally f- terrible about 
some of the oh, stuff. But oh yeah, like running a seven forty seven Ford between JFK and Newark maybe was profitable <laughs> because the it went off the sheer number of passengers between the two. Yeah, yeah, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, what else we got? Let's see. Um, we had a listener question. So uh, Twitter listener frequent flyer asked us a question about gate assignments. And Seth, I think yeah, you so, had some feedback. Yeah. So the, the, the gist of the question was, you know, he, they were talking about a connection they had at JFK and Delta on Delta and how some of Delta is still out of the LT2, yeah. but, but most of Delta's operations in T4. And then sort of the broader question of like when airlines are planning operations and gate assignments for planes, do they take into account who the connecting passengers are and what flights they're connecting between? Um, and so the easy joke answer is, you know, not when Stephen or Steve is in Frankfurt, uh, <laughs> but um, there's it, 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 it's a fair question. And I think the answer sort of is it depends, right? Like yeah. when you're in a, any given terminal, I, I joked earlier about my DCA connection. Like mine was a super easy connection because I didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there were a whole lot of people uh, on the. Uh, like coming out of that, I was in the A section, the United Express A gates, yep. coming out of there and like running to try to get to C to get an onward connection. And under my breath, I muttered, if you guys think you're making anything in, sh- in less than 45 minutes, I got bad news for you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I was actually sort of reminded of the old Continental play at Newark where they put their A gates were Chicago, Dallas, D.C., Atlanta, and one other city I'm blanking on. It was just a four. Was it just a four? It was just five destinations because they had Midway and O'Hare, right? Yeah. Yep. And so those five markets were all in the A gates because it was almost all local traffic. There was no, basically no connections at all, and it was easy to get people in and out. Um, it was almost like you know an executive terminal in some ways because they're all very much business markets, except they didn't do anything nice in the terminal to make it worthwhile. Uh, but that worked because that was a different version of taking into account where the connections are. But, I mean, do you guys have any other experiences with good or bad sort of systemic connection configurations? Didn't didn't they used to do United or Continental? Didn't they used to do something at IAH? Um, trying to remember. Don't Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I can't think of any others. I mean, I know that Del, for Delta, right, at, at LAX, it's a cluster. Because yeah. you've got you've got it spread over two terminals. Um, there's no real rhyme or reason. There's, I guess, mainline and some... They, but they have mainline at both, really. But some of it's regional traffic in the other terminal. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a mess. The, yeah, the last time I did T two um, at JFK, I remember seeing like some wide body international departures out of there. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, I mean, I don't obviously have the numbers, but I would assume that those flights will have at least some connections on them. But you know, it was peak transatlantic departure time, and there's not enough gates, so I guess you put the ones with fewer connections or lower revenue or whatever because those passengers got a worse experience over in T two. Um, I, I don't know if they even consider that. I mean, I know at least at Newark at one point, the gates were specific to the plane types. So you, absolutely, there are some like yeah. When they so yeah, when Continental switched Express over to A, they also added a bunch of gates to that banjo. Right, but like the cer- certain gates at Newark, many gates at Newark could not handle a seven five seven or larger. Right. Mm. There's, I mean, and and that's why if you go now, you see certain gates which the gate physically exists, but the jetway is gone because yeah. they needed more space because they spaced out the other gates to be able to. The goal was to be make sure a seven five can fit at every gate. <laughs> and not, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you put in a, if you put a wide body in, like a triple seven could block, like could clearly block the adjacent gate if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, I mean, my understanding is a lot of this just gets spit out by a system without any real logic. Well, so there, there is, I don't know about specifics for the connection stuff. I know for gate assignments and stuff, there is some logic. Um, there's actually some really, really expensive software that those systems that spit it out take into account for sort of operations planning of which which gate should have which type of plane at which time and how long is the plane going to be there and how likely is it to be on time and a lot of other things to try to make operations run smoothly. Because the other thing is like, there's not enough gates yeah. in a lot of gates, right? Like if, if one flight's delayed, how much... You know, what, what are the follow-on effects in which, you know, if you if you block an adjacent gate with a wide body and then that wide body is delayed, you're not just blocking the one gate, you're actually blocking two now. So if you can't, if you can put the wide body at a designated wide body gate and it only blocks itself, you've significantly reduced the impact in some ways. There's a lot of considerations like that that those systems do make, but I think they, I, I know that those systems don't necessarily have real-time uh, passenger connection details. Yeah. And I mean, Foz, like at JFK, I mean, I'm trying to think if, if Delta really even 
thinks about any of that because I, I feel like they're so limited with gates at T2. So at one point, and I would have bet it's still the case, all departures at JFK for Delta, the flight number either started with a two or a four. Mm-hmm. And the flight numbers that started with a two departed from terminal two. And the flight numbers that started with a four departed from terminal four. It was a fancy little design they had. Yeah. So, um, smart so it, IDs. So it was, yeah. But it, that means that those gate assignments were planned out way in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You knew if, if you knew this trick. And I, and I I don't know that it's still the case. It wouldn't be that hard to check, but um, I'm not going to do it while we're talking now. Uh, if you knew that, you could sort of go looking and figure out, okay, I do have to change terminals or I, I probably am going to have to change terminals or I probably don't. Yeah. Um, based on that. So that's, that is a fun trick for a Delta. Um, assuming it still works. I'd have to see. I so, have no idea. I always, yeah. I always wondered about at Newark, how they chose which ones went to be like international arrivals for United. It's, all of the flight, all of the flight numbers that start with B. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it has to do with the order they come in because so they, it's overfill and that's it. Yes. It's overfill. And then I don't think they keep the C terminal hall open international arrivals as late as B. B's always open. Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I think it's partly overflow, but it's also where it comes back to aircraft utilization also. Cause if the plane has to turn quickly, they need it in C. If it's at B and they have to tow it over, that adds like an hour. Yeah. That's so true. part of it comes down to where the aircraft is going next and how tightly it's scheduled. The JFK thing for Delta no longer works, at least I'm assuming, because JFK San Diego is 3.50 and 3.38. Yeah, they started flying out of Terminal 3, didn't you hear? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, unless the world board made it, came back. Hey, it's, just, it's a hard stand. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Fly B is hiring again. I didn't know Fly B was flying again. Emirates well, is hiring, too. Have I heard Emirates was yeah, hiring, I mean, too. Uh, yeah, and so is Southwest wants five thousand employees this year and eight thousand more next year. I mean, all the airlines are hiring. The, the Fly B or Fly B one is funny because they went bankrupt and lost all their planes, um, and like and shut down and you know gave back all their planes and leases and stuff, and now appear to be ready to restart. And so that's where it gets interesting. Rising like a phoenix. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although two of their planes are going to rot. Assuming it comes together, two of their planes are going to fly for Connect Airways, the Q four hundred startup out of. Massachusetts wants to be based in Toronto and copy Porter Air <laughs> and has an American, has a contract with American. We've talked about them before. They have a contract with American as a feeder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so. my gosh. Uh, and then there's the American Airlines JetBlue lawsuit. Uh, Department of Justice is not anything of what's that. happening. Yeah. Basically, the Department of Justice has written a lawsuit saying that it's there's no way that this is a legitimate deal because American Airlines has way too much power over JetBlue because JetBlue it's giving JetBlue all these slots in New York, and if JetBlue raises fares or does anything American doesn't like, then American will just take its slots back and screw over JetBlue and screw over the rest of the you know traveling public, and it's impossible that. And that they're going to collude on affairs and that there's a bunch of markets where they overlap, where they really are reducing competition. But the airlines have said, yeah, but we gave those markets back. And actually, we can't collude on fares. We can do scheduling and a few other things, code sharing, but not fares, apparently. And I'm not sure exactly how true that is. But um, and oh, by the way, like the slots thing is like at least a minimum of a year. And there's like all of the things that the DOJ is arguing seem to be the wrong things to claim i think is what it comes down to like uh and oh that you know the doj also said that uh yielding slots would not be enough like there, there's no way that, that the two airlines could remediate the the impact of this partnership on consumers through slot divestiture but then why Which, they let it happen in the first place well so they never did the doj never ruled on it and the department of transportation uh also never ruled on it but by not ruling allowed it to happen because the DOT has like a there's a specific time frame and then if if no response is given it's considered approved. The time frame for the DOJ I guess is more fluid. Hmm. I think it was never like guaranteed, but uh here it is. I don't know. It's very very strange to me. Um but I don't I, know. Yeah, but why now? Like what's what's happened that they are pursuing this now? I think a couple things. One is spirit has been like screaming bloody murder in Southwest to a lesser extent, um, filing DOT complaints and begging the department of transportation to reconsider it. Um, the other part of it that I think it'll be real interesting to see, um, how much impact it has is, uh, in June, Biden, the Biden administration put out a statement basically saying 
we are going to get more aggressive on mergers and not letting them happen. And so the big Canadian, uh, big railroad merger, is it BNSF and Canadian Northern? Uh, Canadian, okay, yeah. but you know Canada's north, so fine. Uh, <laughs> had, had a uh, proposed merger, and the DOJ came out and said, "Yeah, we don't think that's going to work. We, we're going to be looking for a lot of you know concessions and whatever." And they called it off. Um, hmm. Things like that. So I th- and even uh, what was the other one? There was something else where uh, a similar sort of thing with airlines, where they were all talking about, "Oh no, it's the DOJ saying this. The DOJ saying this." And it was like, "Oh, it was the slots, the uh, Southwest slots at Newark that Southwest gave back, and the uh, FAA never reissued." Uh, and then a district court in in DC said, "You, you actually, you kind of have to. Like these are you know public utility goods. You sort of have to use them." Please do. And then the FAA put out a statement saying, well, in light of the court ruling and the presidential statement about competition, we're going to go ahead and have a conference and reissue these, you know, have a competition and reissue these slots. So there's a lot of people saying that. And like, what's weird is the memo in, in so much as it mentions airlines talks about like refunding baggage fees. If your bag doesn't arrive on time, which is something that's also in the works in the comment period, just closed on the DOT uh, request for comment and blah, blah, blah. So, it's all happening, but wow. I don't know, it, it's very weird to me that, you know, yes, why now? Um, but also, like, do they actually think they're going to win given the way the what they've argued and, like, just demonstrably false in some areas and pretty soft in others? Yeah, yeah. Um, but and claiming, like, it's impossible for any compromise to be reached. Obviously, I, I, I would like to think that that's a negotiating position that from which they will, you know, find a compromise. But <laughs> what do I know? Um. I, I will be interested to see how it pans out. I bet I bet American isn't super worried. I don't know. It it does it seems like it's too little too late now to me for, for this. Um but that's just my opinion. So Well, I mean they, they certainly can still stop it. Yeah. Um so there's that. It, 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 it does seem to have come very late in the game. Yeah. Right. This is we're now eighteen months after the DOT let it happen. Yeah. More than that, the DOT let the concern expire. Um, the oh, weird, yeah. Uh, at like in in January of 2020. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that right? No, January 2021. It was the in the final days of the administration. Sorry, uh, 21. So eight months ago, not 18. Okay. My apologies. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um, yeah, because only it was announced in mid 2020. Uh, that yeah makes a lot more sense. But so could could you argue that like they needed 16 months to figure out if it was a good idea or not? <laughs> Or did they just finally catch up with all the paperwork? Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is like, they sort of like, there's the standard of so HHI and it's some guy's name or two people's hyphenated names and a index is what the I stands for. And it's like the measure of the impact of uh, mon- monopolistic behavior and like what the, it's, it's a weird formula, whatever. I don't quite understand, but they're like, this is the formula we would use to calculate such things and didn't include mention of what the score would be in the lawsuit. So huh. that seems like a kind of an important thing if you're going to argue it. Or I missed it when I read the suit, but it was it was just it was a it was a very weird filing. Um, we'll say, yeah. Uh, let's talk about executive club status extensions and benefit changes. I honestly had no idea this happened. Yeah, if you have status and a uh, your tier point collection date ends between January and March 2022, you'll get another full year extension. Huh. So there, there, right? Executive club is not calendar year; it's twelve uh, month rolling cycle, and everybody's qualification date is different. Or within a you know a limited uh, variety, but they're you know reducing tier points to qualify uh, on board. They're doing or pre-flight, I should say. Uh, all silver and gold members, regardless of cabin of travel, get pre-flight dining at wow. JFK Boston, Chicago, and Dulles, hmm. which is nice. I I actually really love the pre-flight dining as a benefit. Yep, we talked about general. that before on this yeah. on this show, yeah. Um, and that was one of the things I love flying uh, BA Trans Transatlantic. You grab a quick meal. It was actually pretty good food in the JFK Lounge, which is the only place I've done it. But um, and the uh, Concord Room at Heathrow or JFK will be available to uh, GGL Gold guest list, which is um, a step up from Gold, but not quite to Concord Room. There, you could Concord Room was like a, uh, yet another step above that in terms of tier points, yep. which is their version of EQMs. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, it's what's weird about it to me. They also announced a six month uh, extension to all the vouchers and some other stuff, um, but also are still expiring out points from people's accounts. Hmm. I just got the email telling me I have two months left and then my 13,000 points are gone. Wow. And like on the one hand, sure, I can find a I'm sure there's an online shopping portal that I can buy something stupid in. 
right? And spend $3 or whatever it is and extend the points. But literally no one's traveling. So, but literally no one's traveling. And like, and even if I am like it, it seems very short-sighted to me for any airline loyalty program to be looking for an excuse to be like, Oh, Hey, listen, well, you're not engaged with the program. You're not, you're not, you know, you're, we're not interacting now. I'm going to go ahead and close your account out. Yeah. This yeah. seems like a bad time to be doing that. Especially when on the other hand, you're like, dear people who like fly us a lot, we're desperate to still have you around. We really, 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 really want you to come back to us when you start traveling again. Look at all these benefits we have. But if you didn't fly us a ton, piss off. Yep. That was very British of you. <laughs> it's also very compliant with the uh, not getting an MA rating, TVMA rating on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. The word I wanted to use did not start with the letter P. But but I will say they've got this nifty little flight path feature on their website for Executive Club, uh, which will, by year, which will show you all your flights in a timeline format. Oh. Which is useful to me because... It's nifty. Eventually, eventually it'll be useful to you at some point in the future, hopefully. If we ever travel again, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I think it's, it's odd to me how some of the different, the different airlines are kind of handling this. So executive club doing this, we have a mutual friend who is a gold guest list member. I'm sure he'll love this. I think he was traveling to Toronto recently on BA. Um, I'm sure he was very happy about these changes. I think for people who fly BA a lot, this is great. This is good. Um, but if then I look at like United's like, tactic to get people to stick around or stay engaged and it's spend a certain amount of money before November 30th and keep your status. Um, Alaska's just extended their 50% bonus, but also with still expiring points, still expiring points. Uh, Delta. I don't know what Delta's doing. I think they've extended status into they extended status and the rollover another year. They're pretty generous right now. They, yeah, they being... extended status like back in June or July. And then American, I, I have no idea. Uh, there's lots of ways you can buy your status again. Yeah. So uh, it's, very expensive. It's, exactly. So it's like okay. So it's it's expensive. So I don't know. It just seems. Does any to, to me? It seems like the airlines know that it's things aren't good, and people aren't coming back in the droves like they thought they would. But I don't think in the U.S. the airlines are. I mean, you look at planes; they're all full. People are flying. Yeah, but not of frequent flyers. I would. Uh, there's a lot of people who are traveling for business. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, maybe I in your route, <laughs> like not not up here. It's like all leisure all the time. I know a ton of people flying for business right now. Um, so I, I would argue, especially now that school's back in, back in session and people are still getting on planes, I, I think there's more people on planes that are flying for business than not. And from an airline's perspective, why would they go out and cater to all the people who haven't gotten on a plane in the last 18 months when they have people paying to do it? When you say more business travelers than not, what like what percentage of bus- of business travel do you think has come back? I I I don't think that's a fair question because the number of flights is reduced. But I think uh, if you look at Sunday flights, you look on Thursday flights, they're very full a week out. That's not leisure travel. Yeah, because no one goes away for a long weekend. You're right. No, they do. But <laughs> no, listen, I, I think I, I will agree that traffic is higher on traditional business travel days. Right, Monday. Sunday, Monday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday are absolutely the weaker days still. Um, but I would also argue that like Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday is, or Tuesday, Wednesday for a lot of people was actually business travel because you go more places in a week rather than spend a whole week somewhere. Saturday, not so much. I, business travel by every metric is coming back, but it's still smaller than the leisure travel segment from everything I've heard. I, I, I'm not arguing that point at all. There's fewer flights now, so you can't really do a comparison to pre-pandemic times. But in the flights that I have taken during business days, I would say at least 50% of the people on there are traveling for business, if not more. Hmm. Interesting. I, I still don't think that's a good excuse to be like, yeah, we're, we're going to ignore everybody who had a, like we're going to cancel out all the loyalty program and and start canceling out accounts like hey canceling an account because that's the other thing is i'm pretty sure it's like yeah and if you don't you know if after six months after we take away all your points you still don't have anything we're closing your account closing that's- the account of someone is a stupid way to track customer behavior like if i come back and now i have a different account the data you've lost on me actually is really valuable so but putting that aside telling someone like yeah, you're right. You know, it's it's been really hard lately. We understand, but it's been two years and you still haven't flown with us. We kind of don't want you to cuss. Like, we're not worried if you come back to us as a customer anymore. Especially when most of the traffic right now, or for the last year and a half, has been less about loyalty program and more about they had a nonstop flight at a decent price where I was going. I think that's a terrible business decision. And I would love to hear a loyalty program manager come on and tell me why it's a good idea to cancel out accounts right now. 
I wouldn't say canceling accounts ever makes sense, but or taking let, away canceling out, zeroing out balances. Uh, and I, w- I wouldn't say that makes sense, but letting people status lapse to what Stephen's point was, particularly in the U.S., way too many people had status before the pandemic, and the airlines couldn't deliver on benefits at any of the tiers. This is a way to reset that. Foz just wants wants uh, more benefits. That's what that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I, say, I, I got my A plus seat every time I wanted it on United. I'm, I think I got my benefits right. Uh, let's talk about built. They yeah. added some uh, CC bonus categories. Yeah. So you remember we we talked uh, Foz and I talked with Dave Canty uh, who helped build that program. It's a loyalty program for paying rent, and you can pay with a credit card. Um, and earn points for it and then transfer them to a bunch of loyalty programs. They added a new hotel program. You can do transfer to IHG now in addition to, I think Hyatt was the one they started with. Uh, and uh, one of the things we talked about when we were going over the program when it launched with Dave uh, was sort of the credit card earn rates and what the options were. And it was basically uh, one-to-one earning on, on almost everything uh, except rent, ironically. And rent was a variable earning rate depending on how much other stuff you bought with the card. And one of the challenges there was like, because you know, I could get one point per dollar on, you know, everything, would I spend, would I move my primary spend over to that card to get more points on my rent spend, knowing that I could just get better bonuses on like travel or dining or whatever else through the other cards I already had. Mm-hmm. And they've now added, uh, I think it's three points for travel, two points for groceries kind of thing. It's something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but they have they have added some bonus spend categories on the credit card to try to address that issue. Oh, that's so, nice. That's a nice. little more compelling. Yeah, um, exactly. And, you know, programs take time to evolve and whatever. I'm a, I'm a little surprised that wasn't baked in when it started, um, especially because I know Dave and Richard Kerr, who's been working with them and a few other folks, um, sort of know the value of those uh, bonus categories. But I guess it was not not quite uh, firm enough, a bit, a bit of data, that they, or they just weren't ready to get those in place when they were ready to launch one or the other. Yeah, yeah. So. But I'm I am pleased to see that being added in. Yeah, I think it makes it more. It definitely makes it more attractive for people looking at built as a potential if they're renters. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's a more compelling option now, um, for sure. Uh, well, gentlemen, I think that's a show. Uh, we've got a couple of bonus topics, including South African Airways back from the dead uh, yeah. and BA doing some uh, short haul out of random airports. Um, oh, not anymore. <laughs> so uh yeah and, and that's for our patreon subscribers if you stick around you'll hear those stories. including the, for uh folks who joined us as patreon supporters recently jason patrick jeb and alex thank you all very much thank you thank you very much and uh yeah so until next time you can find us on twitter at dots lines more dots more lines.com uh leave a comment uh ask a question whatever whatever you want to do you can tweet us uh until next time happy travels take care Bye bye